As we come to the scripture, may I ask you please uh, to pray together. Father, um, we're grateful for the scripture. Um, It is indeed your word. And so we realize that when we read it, when we listen to it, we are indeed hearing your voice, that you're speaking to us. And so we realize that our whole lives are graced by it, lifed by it. And so we pray that even now as we read it, that we'll hear your voice. And please, as we have sung and prayed, that we'll know it's your voice and you will grant to us by your grace the faith to believe. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to John in chapter 14. John chapter 14, please. I want to read, I'm sorry, John chapter 13. I'm going to read the end of 13 and uh, beginning with verse 31 and then through chapter 14 and verse 11. So John 13, 31, please. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once, little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, old people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Then together, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Hmm. I want to take up, if God will help me, this, this 
sentence, verse 6, Jesus said to them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Do you hear what he's saying when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus is speaking about himself. We've said over and over in this little, little series, I guess we could call it, of these I am statements of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is speaking about himself. What's important to him as he speaks these words is his own uh, identity. And that's the question. That's always the question. Who is Jesus? That's the heart, really, of Christianity. The heart of the Christian faith isn't the moral teachings that we find in the Scripture. They are important, and they are right, and they are true. That's not the heart of it. It's not the doctrines that we hold. They are right, and they are true, and they are necessary for us. But they're derived. They're derived from this person who is Jesus, you see. He is, in fact, the heart of it. No matter what we talk about, we're talking about the Christian faith. If we don't get to Jesus and who he is, we haven't talked about the Christian faith. He's it, you see. He's, he's Jesus, the Christ. It was true for Jesus. I mean, that was a question they had for his disciples. Uh, you remember on an occasion he was with them. He said, who do men say that I am? And then he got even more particular. And he said, who do you say that I am? And that's, again, always the question. Always the question from Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Do you know who I am? Do you really get it? Do you understand who I am? That's the focal point of this gospel. As we've said so many times, John states his purpose in chapter 20, verse 30. And he says, now Jesus did many of the signs in the presence of the disciples, which aren't written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, that's the point. John says, I want to give you good news. Here's good news. Jesus, he is the gospel. He is the good news, this person. First and foremost, not a list of issues, not a list of beliefs. First and foremost, the Christian faith is a person. It's a person to whom we come. It's a person we are to know. It's a person we are to trust. Christian faith is Jesus. Look at what he's not saying. He's not saying that he is, uh, that, that, for instance, that he knows the way and he wants to, to show us that way. He isn't saying that he knows the truth and wants to teach us that truth. Both those things are true, of course, but, but that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that he knows what life is and he wants to explain it to us. He's saying that he is the way. He's saying that he is the truth. He's saying that he is the life. And he's not saying that he's one among many ways. Or he's one among many truths. Or is that there's, there's, there's many different kinds of life that one may have and experience. He's not saying that. He's saying that he is the, the definite article there is very important. He is the 
way. He is the truth. He is the life. In other words, <laughs> there isn't any other way. There isn't any other truth. There isn't any other life except him. And he makes it very clear in the next statement when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if there was any question about what he meant, but I am the way, the truth, and the life, uh, he clarifies that by saying, no one, absolutely positively, no one can come to the Father except through me. No other way, no other truth, no other life. I'm it. I looked up the definition of a megalomaniac. <laughs> it's one who really believes that everything's centered around him. Well, that's a pejorative term. <laughs> but, but, but Jesus believes that about himself. He believes that he's the center of everything, that everything revolves around him. That he, just as we read in our profession of faith today from Colossians chapter 1, that he is preeminent. That he's all that, that he really is, is it. And, and so as we come to the scripture, whether we believe that's true about him or not, we have to at least see that that's what he's saying about himself. We don't want to paint a picture of Jesus that he wouldn't recognize. We don't want to paint a picture of Jesus that the gospel writers wouldn't recognize. And so what's, who is he? And he's this one who says that he really is all that. We, we've encountered this over and over again. I mean, it shouldn't be new to us, A, as a Christian, but B, just as we read through the gospel of John, that he said he's the bread of life. What did he mean by that? He means you'll die without me. You've got to have me. Without me, there is no life. He said he was the light of the world. Without me, you really can't see. And what can't you really see? You really can't see God. You really can't see life. You really can't see you, us, who we are, without seeing ourselves by way of, through him. He says, I'm the door. You can't enter into the presence of God, into the kingdom of God. I'm it. You see, I'm the good shepherd. You'll die without me. <clears throat> You'll just wander off. And you'll be lost. You need me for protection, for nourishment, for guidance. You need me to rule over your life as king. I'm the good shepherd. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life, you see. Without me, you die. There is no life at all. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in me uh, will never die. Who can say that? I mean, who can say that? Uh, so we mustn't relegate Jesus as just simply some good guy, good teacher, good example, and all of that. We really do have to take him as he reveals himself to us. Whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we at least have to understand this is what he's really saying about, about himself. It's fascinating to me. That when I'm on an airplane or whatever, and people ask me who I am, what I do for a living, and I tell them I'm a pastor, obviously I get a number of responses. Mostly people telling me all the people they know who are pastors. That's really helpful. Uh, thank you so much. But, but, but often people want to engage me in conversation, and they want to engage me about issues. 
about particular doctrines, perhaps, or about poli- uh, things they've read in the paper politically about Christians, especially those uh, in our camp. Um, uh, and that's all fine. It's conversation. But, but it really doesn't get satisfying at all until I get to Jesus. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher in London of a previous century, uh, taught young pastors, and this is mostly true, uh, but but he said he said read your text and make a beeline for the cross. Meaning read your text and make a beeline for Jesus. You know, uh, and and so that's really it. That's true for apologists. That's true if we're trying to to speak to people about our faith. Ideas are fascinating. Philosophies are fascinating. And sometimes that's that's our entry point. And we need to know these things. We need to understand these things. But. Push comes to shove, bottom line, we haven't really gotten to the heart of it until we've presented Jesus, you see. And, and that's how he understood it. That's how he understood himself. That's how he understood all of life. And so when John says, what I'm going to do here is, is present Jesus in a way that you'll, you'll believe that he's the Christ the Son of God, that's what's important for you. If you don't know that, if you don't believe that, you haven't got it. But if you do, you see you have. So it revolves all around around Jesus. I'm a bit ahead of myself because I always want to ask the question when I read any statement in Scripture, especially one this, this is huge, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I want to ask the question, why do you say that? I mean, in other words, what got him to this point? This is just a random statement. Uh, when we read the Bible, I trust we don't take just big, the big highlight points. And, uh, those are important. But, but we always want to ask the question, how did he get here? What, what, what's the context here? What's the setting? What's the setting here? And, and, and for John, if you're reading the Gospel of John, there's a very subtle, but as it progresses, it beats you on the head, marker, And it's this, the hour. When Jesus was at a wedding and they ran out of wine, um, his mother came to him to say, could you help here? He said, my my hour has not yet come. In other words, it's it's not really time for people to see my glory like this. And, and then on another occasion, the, the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus for all he was saying. And, and, and yet they couldn't. Why? Because his hour, John says, hadn't come yet. And then another occasion, he said he was the light of the world. And that really troubled everybody, except for the people who trusted him. And uh, the religious leaders in what Jesus was saying, because they understood what he was saying. And they wanted to arrest him. But they couldn't. Why? Because his hour hadn't come yet. But, but then we, we read in... Uh, Chapter 12, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come. And you go, if you're, just, if you're a good reader and you're reading through and you're, you know, you're, you're tracking with John as he's writing this, you, you, you go, oh, okay, uh, I can't come right now to, to, to I've got to sit here and keep reading because this is what it's all been building up to. It hadn't come. It hadn't come. Now it has come. What, what has come? He says, the hour has come for the son of man to be, to be glorified. Well, how's he going to be glorified? Well, later he says, I'm going to be lifted up. And then in chapter 13, uh, uh, 
Uh, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And so we get, this is, this is a climactic kind of, kind of moment in, in as John writes. And so, so, so that's where we are when Jesus makes this statement. He makes this statement at that hour that had come for him to be, for him to be glorified. To really be, so we can really see who he is. That's what glorified means. We see his splendor. We see him, you see. And so now he comes and, and he talks to his disciples. You remember he washes their feet. He kind of gives them a, a preview of, of his servanthood, his humility, of, of his stripping down from glory to servant to do the menial thing. Uh, it's going to be exemplified in the cross and then he tells them about what's going to happen it's going to be one who's going to betray him that's troubling and then he tells them that he's going to go away and then he gives them a new commandment that they love one another as he's loved them it appears as if they sort of aren't that impressed with this new commandment because nobody brings it up. He's just typical of human beings. I got a command. Eh, I'll put that on the side. Something else that seems to be more important. And what seems to be to, to strike them, of course, we see here, especially with Peter, is what strikes him is that uh, Jesus is going away. You can only imagine what that would have been like. You can only imagine what it would be like to have traveled with Jesus. I mean, Peter had a glimpse. He knew who Jesus was on that day when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? It was Peter, you remember, who said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, so Peter, at least, you would suspect ringing in his head, not understanding what exactly what it meant for him to be the Christ, not what it meant that all that he was going to do. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't able to track with all of that necessarily, but, but, but he, he knew Jesus is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. And, and now he says he's going to leave. But, but how can he leave now? I mean, it seems like everything's the same as it was when he came. And so, so how can he leave now? We are expecting something more out of the Christ than what's happened so far. And you can only imagine what that might be like. And, then, and, and, and so, so uh, uh, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Verse 36 of chapter 13. And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. A bit of a cryptic statement. We, we know what it means after the fact. We know that Jesus is going to cross. Nobody can follow him to that particular event of this atoning death. Um, um, and he's going to glory. But, but he says, you will follow afterward, which means, no doubt, that Peter... Himself would die, not an atoning death, but that he would follow the Lord into glory as well. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, uh, why can I not follow you now? I laid down my life for you. Bless his heart. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not grow till you've denied me three times. In other words, Jesus, I know you, you can't follow me. I mean, you won't even last the night. Don't even last the night. But what's really profound, this is all profound, but what just really strikes us, if we can do away with the chapter numbers and just move right on to the next line. Jesus realizes that what he's just told them about his going away 
leaves them troubled. Um, I suspect you wouldn't have to be the son of God to be looking on that scene to realize that that was troubling to them. But, but Jesus knew the depth of their trouble, if you will. And he knew how to comfort them. He knew all he could do to comfort them at that moment in time. So he, he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. I mean, what an expression after he says he's going away. I mean, it seems like a non sequitur. What do you mean that's impossible? It's impossible for us not to be troubled. Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the one we've had our hope in, and now you say you're leaving us, and so we don't know what we'll do without you. How can you say, don't be troubled by this? We're filled with confusion. We're filled with fear. We're filled with anxiety. We're filled with sadness. What do you mean you're going to, to go away? And then Jesus begins his march to this statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he begins and he begins to build. And he says this statement that if it's all we had, it probably would be enough. He said, believe in God. Believe also in me. What he's saying is you believe in God. So let me command you then to believe in me. And let me say, you believe in God. Let me say to you, you must believe in God as you must believe in me as you believe in God. Who, who can say that, you see? If my family, if, if, my, if we're troubled, if we're anxious about something, I can, I can say, let's believe in God. Now, trust me a minute, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> but I'm not saying those two things are equal. I'm not saying that, that I can provide you the same comfort, the same, the same protection, the, the same help that God can. I, I, I'm going to go do this little thing over here, so trust me in that, would you? Well, that might help you a little bit. But, 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 but really... Trust in God. But Jesus. See, no, no, no. Trusting in me is trusting in God. And and that shouldn't surprise necessarily. At least we get to chapter 14 of John's gospel. Because he's been setting this up from the very beginning. That that it's proper to refer to Jesus as God. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You see, he says, I want you to have from the very beginning of what I'm writing to you, this sense of who Jesus is, and to realize it's proper to refer to him as God. In fact, verse 14, and the Word became flesh, And dwelt among us. So this one who is the word. This Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel as we know. And then verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Who is at the father's side. He has made him known. He's saying okay. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because to believe in me is to believe in God. So he begins this whole Set up, believe in me, believe in God. This will come, in a sense, to a culmination at the end of John's Gospel. You remember when Jesus shows himself after the resurrection to Thomas. And you remember what Thomas said. My Lord and my God. Oh, yes. Believing in Jesus is believing in God, we see that. And then Jesus comforts them with these words. He says, 
In my father's house are many rooms. I memorized that as some of you my age or thereabouts may have memorized it too. In my father's house are many mansions. Um, The point is made that there's plenty of space. There's plenty of space. So Jesus, you can't follow me now, but you will. And, 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 and where I'm going to be, there's, there'll be space for all of you. So don't worry about that. Okay? And, and then he says something. He says, um, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He had told them, no doubt, that he was going to prepare a place for you. And then he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so he says, all right, there's plenty of space where I'm going. And I'm going to make a space for you. You got it? And I'm going to come get you. <laughs> uh, now, uh, when is that coming and getting? Well, we know that when a believer dies, that believer, according to Second Corinthians chapter 5, enters into the very presence of the Lord. And we know that when Jesus returns on the new, to, 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 he gathers all his people and to himself so that we can dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're covered, he says. Uh, don't, don't worry about me going away because there's a purpose in my going and I'll come and I'll get you and I'll take you to where I am. That's the crucial part of all this, you see. He says, what, what will satisfy you, what will complete you in your life and give you life is the fact that you're with me. When people pass away, we ought to take comfort in the fact that if the one who has passed away is a believer and we're believers, that we know that a day will come and we'll be reunited with them. And that's, Paul says we're to encourage each other with such thoughts. And that's very true. And at the moment of the passing of a loved one, that's maybe all we can think about. And that's fine. But we must know that the one will really rejoice in seeing is Jesus. <laughs> and that will be our great and satisfying moment to be where he is, with him. He's, that's where we'll live together in me. I, I've always um, thought about this expression that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And I think, well, what, what really did he mean by that? Did he mean heaven was messy and he had to spruce it up a bit before we got there? Did he mean that the father was going to be surprised? Hey, Jesus is coming with all his friends. Uh, we better, you know, make, make ready for this, uh, this party that we're going to have here and get everybody here. And, and, and it, it, well, no, of course it wasn't a surprise to the father. Jesus said, those who come to me only come because the father draws them. And we know that all of this was understood and decreed before the foundations of the world. So no surprise about who's coming or how many's coming or who's going to be there or any of that. But there's something that had to happen before Jesus could have us come and be with him. And, and what needed to happen was what was going to happen, which that an atoning sacrifice that was sufficient and efficient had to take place. And Jesus said, the preparation that I'm going to make is my death. 
for you. Because the thing that keeps us out of the Father's house is our sin and guilt. And so the preparation that was made was Jesus and his atoning death for our sin so that the place would be prepared, would be ready for us. Because if we just showed up without that, there'd be no entrance. But he would make that place. Thus, he would say, I'm the way. There isn't any other way. I'm the way. You must come through me. Uh, this statement that I'm the way is a very similar one to what we've explored already when we talk about Jesus being the door, you see. He's the, he's the way. He's the, he's the door, you see. Um, the entrance into. He's the way there. We can only come to the Father, enter the kingdom of heaven through him. No other way, you see. And again, we realize what keeps us out as we mentioned when we worked through this notion of doors a couple of weeks ago, the way it keeps us out is, is our sin. You remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, they were expelled from the garden. And you remember there were two cherubim or cherubim there that were with swords that were keeping them from gaining entrance back in. And, and the big question is, well, we've got to get back in because what's in is the tree of life. How can we have life unless we get back in? How can we enter back in. And so God, uh, as we walk our way through the scripture, shows us how he's making preparation. And so we see a tabernacle and a temple. And in the tabernacle and the temple, there's a a holy of holies. There's a place where God dwells. But there's a door, a veil. Fascinatingly, there were cherubim embroidered in this veil (laughs) to remind of the cherubim that were keeping us out of the Garden of Eden, going back to the Tree of Life. But, but, but they were there. And, and how do we get through that? Well, only by way of a, a representative, a high priest who would enter that Holy of Holies uh, once a year on behalf of himself first and then on behalf of the people. And he would sprinkle blood from a goat that had been slain rather than the people die, this goat die and so you take the blood and and pour it sprinkle it on this uh, a seat of mercy or seat of propitiation it was called to settle if you will the wrath of god and 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 that would mean that god in some sense was dwelling amongst his people and they with him but still this veil still this door still this way that needed to be opened and you know as i mentioned at our confession time and when Jesus died, fascinatingly, <laughs> graciously, the veil split and it opened and the meaning being come in. But how? Well, only this way. Only this way. The way who is Jesus. Through him, the way. And he's... Uh, the way, because he is the truth. He's the truth. He's God with us. He's the one who's come and truthfully, honestly, reliably, perfectly revealed to us who God is. He's the truth. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I'm the truth. Uh, this 
passage I read a moment ago from John in chapter 1, verse, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Uh, commentators like to use this expression that Jesus narrates the Father. When you listen to Jesus, you're listening to the Father. Jesus said, I only say what I hear him saying. When you see Jesus at work, you're seeing the Father at work. And Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. <laughs> and so Jesus is revealing all the time, narrating, if you will, God to us. How else could we ever really know him? Really know him without him coming and revealing himself to us. Scripture says there's a a general revelation that we get through nature, but that only makes us accountable because his wisdom, his power, creative power, is known to us in creation. But but even that, we suppress that truth. We don't want to believe in God. We need a special revelation. And Jesus is that very one who comes and reveals to us uh, who the Father is over and over and again. Jesus speaks to us about his, his origin. For instance, in chapter 3 of John in verse 31, uh, he speaks of himself. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal that God is true, you see. And, and so this Jesus who has come in chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus says of himself, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God He has seen the Father, and he comes then to reveal the Father to us. He does so truthfully, reliably. We can can trust him. He's He's the truth. When we look at Jesus, we see the power of God as he calms the storm, as he casts out demons. We see the mercy of God as he comes to the outcast, as he comes to the sick, and he blesses and heals them. And restores them. Right? And we see the holiness of God as Jesus lives a life of holiness and perfection. We see that. But most assuredly, it's when we look at the cross, when he's really lifted up, when we see him glorified, we see the very reflection of God from him, through him. He reveals God. He reveals the holiness of God. And he says that God cannot bear sin. He cannot look upon sin. And therefore, he has to deal with it justly. And this is what it deserves. And so we see the holiness and the justice of God in the cross of Jesus. But not only that, We see the love of God in the midst of it because this great expression in the scripture, he for us, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one, you see. It's put upon him. And so we see the holiness of God. We see the the love and the mercy and the grace of God as he pours it out upon Jesus. We see the wisdom of God because this is in fact the way. How else could it take place? How else could there be reconciliation between the likes of us and God, between the unholy and the holy, between the sinner and the righteous? How how could this really be, you see? And it's only by way of the justice and the mercy of God, his wisdom and his power, of course. 
Because through it he defeats, he conquers sin and death. He is the way because he's the truth and he's the way because he's the life. There isn't any other life really apart from God. And so the only way that we can have that life is through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so he very explicitly says here, no one comes to the Father except through me. What's the through there? How, how is it, what's the through there? Well, you can say through this way that he has made, and that's certainly true, as I read from Hebrews earlier this morning. And uh, chapter 10, we heard about this new and living way. Uh, uh, the author of Hebrews calls it, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we've confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, so we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, you see, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. Um, with pure water. You see, certainly that way, but, 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 but the through here references, refers to believing in him. That's the very point. He begins this section, um, Jesus does by saying, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The through is that we come to the Father through believing, through faith. In Jesus. And that excludes what many have grown up with in our day, especially many my age. There's a belief that's been taught um, in what has been called the church, um, a belief that goes something like this that the work of Jesus is necessary for the salvation of human beings. That there had to be an atoning sacrifice, and there was, and Jesus made it. And so, old people are saved through that atoning sacrifice. That's why sometimes you can go to a church and you can think, oh, this is really a on-target church. They talk about Jesus, they talk about the atoning death of Jesus, they talk about all of that. But what, they, what you miss is that the only way to receive this is through faith in Jesus. It isn't doesn't mean everyone is saved. It's just those who believe. That's his point. Through me. When he talks about through me, he doesn't say just simply this way that I've made, but through faith in me, through trusting in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You believe in God. You you believe in me as well. You believe in me. You believe in God. So trust me. That's There isn't any other way except through, you see, through me. Faith in me. And there's others who say, well, it works for me, this Jesus thing. I mean, I really trust it. I I really believe it. And so I'm really uh, saved. I don't know about anybody else. Well, we do know about anybody else. We really do. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nor does it mean that this, this general revelation is sufficient for us. Well, I can see in creation there is a God and he's wise and he's made it. I believe there is a God. And, and, and yet, the only way to him is through Jesus. You cannot believe in God and reject Jesus. 
Believe in God. Believe also in me. Again, as I I talk to people and they tell me they believe in God, I appreciate that. I just want to know what they mean. And I really don't know what they mean until we get to Jesus. And I say, who is he? And that determines, you see, my understanding, their understanding, the truth of the fact. Do they really believe in God? There's no believing in God without believing in Jesus. As the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the son of God. As the second person, as we might say, of the Holy Trinity. And so it is like that. Now please understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that people of other faiths are any more horrible than anybody else or any more nice than anybody else. I'm not saying that you know, some people have various faiths and it helps them be nicer people, better citizens. And I, I appreciate that. I, I really do. We're not on a niceness scale. Christians are nice and everybody else isn't. Uh, that's true. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you to some of my nice, unbelieving friends who are nicer than you are. Uh, but, uh, some of, but, or nicer than me. It's not a niceness scale. I mean, I think that's what throws some of our kids sometimes. We, they grew up in the church and they hear about Christians and, and how we're supposed to behave and all that. And it's wonderful. And then they go out into the world and they meet unbelievers and they look at the lives of unbelievers and they say, these people are awesome. I like these people. They're smart. They're creative. They're, 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 they're good workers. They make great friends and neighbors. And they're way more fun than some of my Christian friends. Uh, and so they said, therefore, Christianity must not be true. Well, if niceness, social niceness, relational niceness, is our scale, then it isn't necessarily true <laughs> in this life. It's only true because of Jesus, because of you and me. It's only true because of Jesus and who he is. That's what makes it true, if you will. So even as we train up our kids, we mustn't think that unbelievers are ten-headed monsters out to destroy their lives. But they can be good neighbors and good colleagues and good classmates and so forth and so on. But their life will not save them. Only Jesus can save, you see. Uh, Fifteenth century, Thomas Akempis. I don't always find him quotable, but he writes about this passage. Follow thou me, meaning Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the only way the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I'm the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, 
Life blessed. Life. That's true. Uh, we say it sometimes. To die with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the way. Truth, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through faith in him. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, pray for us that that would be true of us, that we would trust in Jesus. He is the way he's made it. He is it. He's the truth. He reveals in himself through himself, all that is true, he's the life, the only life, there is no life apart from him. Enable us, please, I pray, to believe that. And as I prayed earlier, that we would be a church that would preach that, teach that, share that. May that be true of us always. Father, there are those in our midst, even as we stop to pray for a moment, that have difficulties and struggles. So, Jesus, please, for them, be truth, be life, be the way. May they know you. Might be a relational issue between parents and children, or friends, or at work, or perhaps between husband and wife. Jesus. Bless, reveal, give life. Father, for those who grieve and their hearts are troubled because they've lost one they, they love. And even in this week, we think of Wendy Canada and her family and the death of her mom. And certainly Parker and his family and the death of Nancy. And, 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 and God, we realize at that point in time, our only hope really is in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the comfort that these families have. Um, And I pray it fills them and sustains them. For us as a church, that we may bless them as well. Uh, Father, for those who find themselves in illness, I pray for them that you would bring healing and health and help to them. And for us as a congregation, as a church, Father, may we continue to Believe, may we continue to live out the truth of this gospel on all of its implications and ramifications and help us most assuredly to love one another as Jesus has loved us. This I pray in Jesus' name.